It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, to another big edition of Reliving the War. My name is Nimsazor, joined as always by Simon Tackler. It is exclusive to the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network, where we do exactly what it says in the intro. We relive the Monday Night Wars month by month. We're going into WCW Spring Stampede. And Simon, this one is an interesting one because 97 uh, has been an interesting year because we sort of ebbed and flowed between WWE, have a good show, then WCW does. Started off with a bang with the Royal Rumble. Then the WWF dropped the ball, but they kind of picked it up in the last pay-per-view. Meanwhile, WCW started off on the wrong foot with NWO sold out. They kind of want us back with Uncensored. Now is their chance with Spring Stampede. Yeah, this was a show that is sort of in the middle. It's got a lot of highlights, but there's also some parts of the show that drag Honestly, it's pretty consistent, though. I feel like 97 is a good year for WCW on pay-per-view. The Nitros were a bit of a struggle, a lot, lots of weirdness going on, inconsistent. But on pay-per-view, I think WCW was at its best in 97. And this show, the good parts of it are as good as it gets, I think, for WCW. Oh, you're spot on because, and you're right, 97 WCW pay-per-views, there hasn't been any that I sort of went, oh, I can't, I can't, cannot sit through this a little bit more. Whereas for the WWE side, especially WrestleMania, when that came around, that was a real battle to sort of sit through and watch. But uh, we'll start off with Spring Stampede because we open up with yet another interesting year 12 media style (laughs) project, the video package to get us uh, up and running. Were you surprised at just the level of star power that was actually on this card, because we saw last year when we started doing this podcast, you have guys like ice train, Scotty Riggs and sort of guys like filler in, in the card. Whereas this, it actually looks like everyone is an A-lister. That's actually a good point. I didn't really notice that until you've said it, but yeah, there are none of the weird WCW oddities on this show. There are no, um, what, no disco one inferno? from the uh, yeah, no disco inferno. None of the blood runs cold Mortal Kombat guys on this show. Yeah, none of that stuff. Like the worst guy on the show is Prince Iakea, but I feel like mm. we're going to say that about a lot of pay per views moving forward. Um, but yeah, in terms of star power, this was a big show. Very very big show too. Uh, we get to straight to the intro the set i reckon is fantastic it's like they've got a wild west sort of setting if you've ever been to warner brothers movie world <laughs> and, and and have seen the wild wild west ride and they've got everything set up as an old west and that's what the set's like and it did take me back to a time where they put an in effort into the sets and they didn't just 
reuse the same HD screen, which is something that I'm glad to see AEW do. Like they mix it up for their pay-per-views. And I really think that that's something that's been missing a long time in uh, WWE modern day pay-per-views. Yeah, as corny as it looked, and you're right, totally uh, Warner Brothers Movie World-esque set here. But I would take that over a simple, we've just put a logo on our screen, you know, which has sadly become the trend now. Give me the fake saloon and, you know, bales of hay. I thought this was good. The only thing that let me down, though, I made the prediction on the last show because I thought I'm going to be right. How are none of the commentators wearing cowboy hats? Dusty Rhodes, even Dusty, this pay per view not to wear a cowboy hat. He put on a normal baseball cap. Oh, it was crazy, absolutely crazy. You've got an entire Western theme pay per view, (laughs) and look, we'll give him a little bit of. uh, I'll I'll give him a little bit of a chop at because there was a cactus on the desk. There there was just in the corner. Uh, it wasn't even on the desk. It was part of the the desk sort of fitting. But uh, speaking of the commentary team, did it just seeing me or was it just me? Or was this a very long intro to the paper at the desk? It was. They did a long intro and they also did an outro at the end of the show at the desk. I thought it was a weird from a presentation standpoint where they didn't just kick off the show with Pyro and here's the first wrestler's music. They did a longer than normal um, setup at the desk. And you know what? It feels like WCW had to do that because things weren't really announced on the show on Nitro. Mm. Like they wouldn't give you a rundown of the card as succinctly as WWE would. So I feel like WCW at the start of the pay-per-view had to say, hey, you've ordered the pay-per-view. Here's what you're going to watch because you probably don't know. You know, I think you're actually, you've hit a nail on the head there because sometimes when I go and look at the crowd in WCW pay-per-views, it looks like half of these guys have never seen any of these people in their <laughs> life. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of like, hey, look, I've got tickets to the wrestling show. Do you want to come down? Yeah. I heard so, Hulk Hogan's on it. That's all they know. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> you're actually probably right because people are like, well, Piper's there. Like, Roddy Piper. Remember Roddy Piper? Like, because yeah. all the, the big names are top heavy towards the end. So it probably gets him in the gate and they're like, Ultimate Dragon. Who the hell's this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that leads us to our first match of the night Ultimo Dragon versus Rey Mysterio. If you're thinking that you're listening to an old episode of Reliving the War, you're not. It's just something that they went to quite a fair bit back in the day. But as opposed to a constant series of rematches that we're used to nowadays, anytime you saw Ultimo Dragon versus Rey Mysterio, they'd always try something new. And I thought that this time around was pretty much the same thing. Ray over as hell. Mm. Arguably the biggest pop. And considering the fact that it's WCW, a very strong Southern kind of audience, and Ray gets that much love that he does, it took me by surprise a little bit. Yeah, I, it's always surprising how over guys like Rey Mysterio and Dean Malenko were when we rewatched these shows, but they were big names. And there's a reason why certain guys have stuck around so long and why people remember them fondly. They were over. It's not that we just, oh, I remember that guy with the mask. Everybody hmm. loved Rey Mysterio. And the whole argument, you know, from people like Vince Russo and I know there's some validity saying, oh, you know, you need to see their face for them to be a star and they've got to speak English and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, the proof was here that these guys could get to a certain level without talking, without cutting a promo, Mm -hmm. with wearing a mask, you know? So, yeah. Probably 
another ultimate vindication of the, you know, like you can make a lot of money, you know, you don't need to see facial expressions is look at Ray's entire WWE career. The first thing they did was put that mask back on him. <laughs> yeah, specifically said, nah, put the mask back on, <laughs> you know. Mm. And what's crazy, this is 25 years ago now. And Rey Mysterio right now is a tag team champion in the WWE. Yes. 25 <laughs> years. He was wrestling for a few years before this. So let's say 30 years later, he's still doing Hurricane Runners and 619s, mm. still looks in better shape than probably anyone listening to this right now. Like, he's a machine. Ray in 2020... In, sorry, in 2021, looks better than he did in like 2005 when he had those big baggy pants and stuff like that. We were oh, hiding yeah. like all the all the knee braces and stuff that were keeping him together. And you're right, the fact that he's still, I, I'd argue that he's probably a couple of notches down to where he was when he was in, in his prime in WCW. But the fact that you can put two things side by side and go, you know what, that's actually not a bad effort there from Ray Ray. Because you can't do that with any other luchador. I mean, you look at Psychosis today and look at him back in the day. There's, <laughs> it's chalk and cheese. Yeah, nobody has aged and kept as good as Rey Mysterio from the Cruiserweight division. It's not even a competition. And yeah. speaking of good efforts from Rey Mysterio, Bobby Heenan here mentions the rumor from the time that Rey Mysterio was being linked to Jennifer Aniston in the gossip <laughs> magazines at the time. He just said with a star from Friends, but if you yeah look it up, the rumor was that Ray had hooked up with Jennifer Aniston. And how appropriate Crazy. that we're in the midst of the Friends reunion. Oh, yeah. record this. So, <laughs> hey, Ray's still on TV. Friends is back. You couldn't get more, you know, on the ball than that. No, hell no there. But was it just me or did you think that Ultimo Dragon was working just a little bit snug in this match? There were some stiff kicks. Oh, some stiff kicks and even some of his slams. He was really like laying it into Rey Mysterio. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Rey, maybe he was jealous. Maybe he wanted to hook up with Jennifer Aniston. Maybe they <laughs> were at the bar. And, you know, maybe. it's like, I've got my eye on Rachel and then Rey swooped in, you know? Maybe he was always like a, a uh, he was a Monica guy and just absolutely hated it. <laughs> just like, you know what, I'm going I'm to show you, buddy. Um, in something that was so a WCW, because the match itself is quite serviceable. There's a reason why they put Ray and uh, Ultimo Dragon on so many matches and pay-per-views as a combination to start off the night because you were always good. But in a that's so WCW move, they get to the split screen and have Lee Marshall interviewing Kevin Nash backstage because the big thing is Scott Hall has been missing for three weeks. Kevin Nash is going to defend the WCW Tag Team Championships on his own against the Steiner brothers. There can't be a substitute. So Lee Marshall had the backstage exclusive, sloop, uh, ex exclusive scoop with Kevin Nash. He goes backstage to talk to Nash, but it's six that opens the door cuts a little promo that no one can even hear then it goes back to the match yeah classic wcw they went backstage during a match and they also had terrible production values where we couldn't hear six and even the commentary team like must not have even had notes to say here's what six will say go along with it they just didn't know and they were like oh we don't know what he said so <laughs> yeah exactly and Rey Mysterio ends up getting the win in the match it was uh, a pretty good one from what I what I remember from it like the thing is 
1997 was such a long time ago and all of these cruiserweight matches were relatively interchangeable like there's not a real memorable cruiserweight match and that's the thing that i find is is to its detriment because like yeah they're great matches but there's no real big takeaways from them at the end of the day it was still a serviceable match but uh you'll probably forget it by the next pay-per-view when they have another cruiserweight match to start off the show yeah, that's sort of like the the thing you don't want to admit. We all sort of know that was the case, but no one ever really focuses on that. Like, yeah, the matches were great, made it fun to watch, but outside of Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio at Halloween Havoc, what is the other Cruiserweight match people remember? I'm sure there are people who can name some good ones. They're all good. But yeah, in terms good. of ones that stand out because they had a great storyline or or something truly memorable or whatever. Yeah, there is only one, really, that has lasted the test of time. I'm going to add one more to that list, and that is the Cruiserweight Battle Royal in Slamboree 1998. And the only reason I bring that up is because Jericho, who's the Cruiserweight Champion oh, at the course. time... Yep. But this isn't a match. Like, it's not a match. Like, it's because Jericho is so good at all of his intros... And because, well, spoil it. So hit, fast forward by about a minute or so if you don't want to hear me spoil it. And, and if you want to wait till we get to Slam Rory 1998. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when Cyclope is revealed to be Dean Malenko under that You're mask. Right. That's the other, yeah, epic cruiserweight moment. Um, this match, though, was good. And like you mentioned at the start, they've wrestled a few times. I couldn't remember their other matches, but I remember we had seen them. Thankfully, mm. Mike Tanay, who was on the call, and normally I wouldn't say thankfully Mike Tanay for anything, but he gives, us, he gives us the backstory. He mentions they were one-on-one on pay-per-view, uh, like one-for-one, one, and this was the mm. rubber match. So I mm-hmm. guess there was kind of a story, but not really. You know, No one knew that or cared, only Mike Tanay. Yeah, they also mentioned little things like, you know, Ultimo Dragon. And and it's a weird one because they flip-flop a little bit between calling him Ultimate Dragon and Ultimo Dragon. So yeah. this could be one of the, the final matches we've seen build as Ultimate Dragon. But yeah, like I said, perfectly serviceable match. It just falls into the, the plethora of, uh, of, you know, WCW Cruiserweight matches from back in that era. But we'll move on to our next little segment. And it is Lee Marshall. With the NWO now, he goes to confront Nash. What I Nash backstage is untouchable. <laughs> I love all these ones. The best thing is the Steiners are also there too to c- confront Nash and find out who is going to be their tag team partner. And my favorite line from Nash is, "Is this an ambush? You're giving me an ambush." <laughs> it's so good. The other uh, great p- moment is when Scott Steiner gets maced in the face. He just keeps like screaming out for Rick. He yeah. just kept saying, oh, Ricky, oh, Ricky. It was so weird <laughs> to hear Big Papa Pump in like, you know, such a vulnerable state. So we should point out why Scott Steiner is maced here too, because <laughs> in the lead up to, and look, let's face it, anyone that's seen modern day Scott Steiner adheres that he was maced back in 1997 probably goes, that's yeah, probably seems about right. <laughs> um, but he was, but he was a lot less crazy back then. So what's happened is the Steiners have confronted Nash. There's still a WCW security and a police person there as well, too. I didn't see, I, I couldn't see any coppers there. All I could see was WCW security. But, you know, that's what the, uh, the commentaries said. They got to confront Nash. Nash then hocks a loogie towards 
I think he spits on Rick Steiner. Hmm. So then Scott Steiner gets arced up and starts throwing punches, taking out security. Then he gets maced and then he gets handcuffed. Mm-hmm. No one did backstage segments like WCW. <laughs> no, they were wild, especially this feud. Like, you know, they were running each other off the road with like camera footage. You know, people are getting maced. Like this was a serious feud. Um, it was mental. Also, I don't think it's in canon, but I'm going to say Scott Steiner getting maced is what turns him into Big Papa Pump. Something yeah. in the mace just sets him off. And from here on out, he loses his mind. I think that it's should like, be the story. Maybe that was genetically altered uh, mace. And <laughs> yes. much like when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are uh, exposed to mutagen, now they become <laughs> the turtles. This turns yep. him into Big Papa Pump. Yep. Um, but yeah, that, that was just one of the most bizarre things. It's very memorable. It is very memorable. Like, you go back and say, you know, we forget some things about WCW. There are some stuff when you do watch it, you remember it so well. That is one of those cases too. Uh, we then get led into a WCW women's match. This is a pretty rare occurrence on a WCW pay-per-view. It's normally Medusa versus a Japanese wrestler because WCW's women's roster is essentially Medusa and dot, dot, dot. Mm. Like she's specifically brought over to WCW for one reason. And that's to throw the women's title in the bin. Then they kind of forgot about it for the rest of the time. Yeah, they had no idea what to do. And then it was like, all right, you'll just wrestle a Japanese person every few months on pay-per-view till hmm. we give up. Akira Hokotu is the WCW Women's Heavyweight Champion. Mm -hmm. I didn't even, I wasn't even aware there was a WCW Women's Heavyweight Champion, despite the fact we watched a tournament for it, <laughs> tournament finals for it. I think it was at uh, Road Wild, maybe? Yeah, it might have been. See what I mean? You just we don't you don't remember these things, even though we have been rewatching it. Once again, the big thing is Medusa's American, her opponent isn't. Boo that person. Yeah, and I mean they could have leaned into that here, just like they did at Hogwild, where the match was about who gets to beat up whose motorbike. Medusa mm. should have come out in a cowboy hat. Yeah. Yes, that would have been great because then at the very least you could have seen someone like, you know, imagine Akira Hokotu like stepping on a like a 10-gallon hat. That would be <laughs> nuclear heat. The win the winner gets to trash the other person's hat, just like yeah. they did with the motorbikes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, look, it, it's it's a pretty forgettable match. And I think it goes for less than 10 minutes as well. Mm. Uh, it finishes with Luna Vachon interfering, costing Medusa the win. Uh Medusa's in you can even tell that she looks uncomfortable being there because it's just like she's really hamming it up and it's just like, oh, what what am I doing here? Why? Why have I done this? But yeah, Luna Vachon interferes. It took me by surprise because I even forgot that Luna Vachon was in WCW at the time. Yeah, this was the weird era where people would jump back and forth a few times and you're like, oh, were they there? Oh, okay. But yeah, Luna would go back to WWE at some point and sort of have a few years there again. But this was just a quick cup of coffee. I don't think she's in WCW for very long or does much. Yeah, because uh, I can't remember any Nitro segments or, or any interactions. Uh, but yeah, look, perfectly serviceable match. But it it doesn't stand the test of time because we've seen so many greater women's matches, not just in the WWE, but, you know, I mean, TNA had a fantastic division. Like the women's wrestling bar is raised so much that this is just, filler it's Look, nothing it, it's not bad it's definitely better than like most of sable or deborah's matches very you much know, so, we can't yeah. say it's but again it's so short 
there's basically no story so it's kind of forgettable in that sense whatever like yeah they do a few moves but similar to the cruiserweight matches there's nothing to remember yeah yeah exactly uh we move on to our next match which is one for the tv title this is something that prince iakea would hold on to for lord knows how long but speaking of lords lord stephen regal is his opponent i do like this because it's a it's billed as a lord versus a prince uh by bobby Heenan. oh yeah i didn't even notice that this is the part that i absolutely love and we sound like we absolutely crap on uh prince ik a fair bit but when tony shivani during his entrance has to say prince ik he's well respected by everyone by the peers by the fans by the veterans everyone loves him for all of the hard work that he does that is very much uh oh, no one seems to like this guy we've got to pump him up somehow <laughs> sounds very rocky my via-esque you know what i mean everybody mm. loves this young blue chipper the push was so similar and I know it's not because they were both, you know, Polynesian and presented mm. in that way. There were a lot of similarities. Very much so. And look, this is just another one of those, um, another one of those Prince IK matches that I don't think is uh, memorable at all. In fact, aside from Vince Russo making him the artist formerly known as Prince IK in late 1999, that sums up Prince IK's career. I mean, there, when when the best part of this match is the plug for you can listen to live audio of the pay-per-view from WCWWrestling.com. When that's the best part of the match, you got something wrong with the match. Yeah, exactly. And I was drifting in and out of this match. Mm. It was so hard to pay attention. The only thing I made note of is that Rey Mysterio must have been so happy to not wrestle him again. He got ultimo dragon on this show so he would have been happy <laughs> but william and then then my thinking went to okay he's small so they put him with the cruiserweights he could mm. barely have an okay match with ray mysterio you know yep. i could probably have an okay match with ray mysterio and then they thought okay maybe he's not a high flyer maybe he's mm. a technical wrestler so they put him in with the ray mysterio equivalent of technical wrestling william regal yep. william regal yep that didn't work either. You know, no. what do they do next? Put him in a hardcore match with like Terry Funk and they're like, maybe he's a hardcore wrestler. <clears throat> just not very good. I feel like they're just trying to find where he fits and nothing is sticking. It, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And you, you're right. They do the thing where it's like, okay, look, Regal can pull something out of nothing. No, he couldn't even pull anything there. This is the other part. You, you mentioned drifting in and out of the match. The only the, the part that I drifted back in was when the commentators were talking about tomorrow night on Nitro, we're going to show you an exclusive clip of Dennis Rodman and Jean-Claude Van Damme's <laughs> brand new movie. Like, hey, and double, I'm, double team. That was a good yeah. movie. Pretty yeah, sure big. Mickey Rourke is in that too. <laughs> there you go. See, look, <laughs> what does that tell you about this match when we're talking about WCWWrestling.com and a horrible Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman movie that made it to cinemas and should have just gone straight to video? Yeah, that was the last hurrah of Van Damme where they were like, he can still be famous, but it was coming to an end. Side note, while we're on the topic of Jean-Claude Van Damme, if you can ever watch the movie JCVD, very good underrated oh, fantastic the later era of van damme where for some reason he became a decent actor is uh <laughs> one of those weird things it's like why did you learn to act now anyway. <laughs> yeah 
Uh, look, uh, Prince OK gets the win and a beatdown ensues afterwards from uh, Lord Stephen Regal. But uh, look, we, are, we we try to be as positive as we can here. And Prince OK, I'm sure he's a lovely bloke. If I ever bump into him at a WrestleCon, I'm sure I'll say hello. <laughs> but um, yeah, not going to yeah, go one, any way to track this one, down. One more thing with the film Double Team, just to go on a tangent, because who cares about that match? Mm. Out of the three stars in it, Van Dam, Rodman, and Mickey Rourke, wouldn't you think the one guy who we're going to let be in a wrestling match is Van Dam? Yeah. Like, that's a great trivia question at a pub. If you're like, 1997's double team starred Mickey Rourke, Dennis Rodman, and Jean-Claude Van Dam. Which of the three didn't have a wrestling match? You would not mm. say Van Dam. It should have been Van Dam. Anyway. Now... While we're still on this tangent, so Mickey Rourke has wrestled at a WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah. Has Dennis Rodman wrestled on like a Starcade or has. Ooh, Bash at the Beach. Bash at the Beach is a big show. Big, Bash at the Beach show. is like yeah. their SummerSlam yeah. sort of thing. Like if we're going by tears. Yeah. So Jean Claude Van Damme hasn't even stepped foot on a Nitro or a Raw, no. yet Mickey Rourke and Dennis Rodman have both been on multiple, uh, like, Rock being on the biggest WWE pay-per-view and Dennis Rodman being also involved in massive ones. No, I think he was in a Starcade. Maybe. He probably oh, was. Yeah, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it when we but get yeah. to an inevitable next uh, celebrity crossover on uh, TNT. But uh, look, a perfectly meh match. If you're watching the pay-per-view, I'd hit the next button. Uh, we then get to probably oh, the... Oh, just one more tangent on this stupid yeah. match. Let's play the age game. Regal oh, and Prince Iakea, because we've noted how old Regal looked at the time, even though he was only in his 20s. Guess their, age, guess their age difference. Iakea, I reckon, he wouldn't have hit 30. Because the, he's, he's, he, tell me the difference between them in age. I'm going to say maybe five years. Okay, and Regal is five years Regal's old. older. Yeah, Regal's older. Prince Iakea is three years older than William Regal. Get out. That <laughs> yep. is BS. Yep. Even though it looks like a 30-year-old beating up a teenager. I yeah. I mind. Yep. Oh, my God. Jeez, mm. Iakea, whatever. He, like, gee, blue chipper is a uh, an understatement <laughs> there. I know. Anyway. Oh, dude. Uh, so we move on to our next segment there. Uh, mean, this is what I mean. This Just going back to that last segment for a little bit. This is how hard it is to stay focused in a Prince Iakea match. <laughs> Not a shot at the bloke as a human being. Because from all these stories that you hear in wrestling, you never hear a bad one no. about Prince Iakea. But at the same time, you never see a good match from Prince Iakea. So uh, I'm, I'm sure he's probably listening to this and a tear is rolling down his cheek. But we, we get to our next segment. Mean Gene, he's shilling the hotline again. And this is the part that I love. This I don't know if you noticed this too, but I'm pretty sure you did. So Mean Gene Oakland talks about a new faction that's coming to WCW called the hotline about it. Fair enough. Part of the course. Mean Gene also mentions that there is a car accident that has that will shock WCW. And you can only find out details on the WCW hotline. Now imagine Mean Gene Oakland is, is a witness to a car accident. Police are looking like, oh, we just need anyone to help. Mean Gene, Gene, oh, we recognize you. You're, you're a reputable source here. What happened? It's like, well, you're gonna have to call the hotline to find out. Yeah, sorry. 
get your parents' permission before I give you the <laughs> scoop on who may may or may not be dead in a car wreck. Oh, um, crazy. I, think I figured it out with Mean Gene's shills for the hotline too. I think we've actually missed something. When, oh. when he first pitches them on a pay-per-view, it's a spoiler for later in the night. Remember when he said someone has had dinner with the NWO and I'll tell you who if you call the hotline. He could have just told the other wrestlers who's joining the NWO. It ended up being Macho Man. I think I know who he's referring to when he said there's a new click forming and we'll get to it mm. later in the show. But I think he, he just drops clues as to what's going to happen. So we should pay attention to what he's saying he's going to tell us on the hotline because it, I think it usually happens later in the night. Interesting. Very interesting. We'll figure that one out too. Because I'm trying to think, I'm trying to rack in my head like faction, new faction. Mm -hmm. mm. New click. New click. Interesting. See, saying click also implies a little, oh, maybe Shawn Michaels will come yeah, in I 1997, know. you know. Purpose. Yeah. <laughs> very, very clever there. You schemo Gino, as they used to call it. <laughs> no wonder why. Um, he, the purpose of. Um, Gino there is also to have a interview with Ric Flair. Ric Flair is just, this is peak Ric Flair, classic rambling sort of on and on. The hating of Eric Bischoff. Uh, it's just, it's a bit of a rambling mess, but that's what Rick's known for. Yeah. And, and Flair here though, what was interesting, he called Jarrett a horseman because we've been trying to figure out, was Jarrett ever officially a horseman? I guess he was. Yeah. Cause I, cause this is, cause, Every part of the Jeff Jarrett horseman storyline has been like, you know, he is not an official horseman member. And now you've got the guy that essentially is one of the pillars mm. of the four horsemen saying, no, no, he's, he's definitely part of the horseman. You're like, yeah, okay, I guess he is. And then the next match is technically it's a horseman match but yeah. uh, we'll get to we'll get to that in just a moment but what do you think of rick flair's rambling promo because i um, just thought it was just meh it was a whatever promo i feel like rick flair even at his best in this era isn't his real best he mm. even mentions that he was sort of off mentally and everything it's okay for what it is like it's energetic but two interesting things are him, you know, officially saying Jarrett's a horseman. And he also mentions the uh, NFL player, Kevin Green. Yes. Given the green light to wrestle next month. But what's interesting, Flair sets up the six-man tag, which is what we end up getting. And it's an awesome match. It's Kevin Green, Ric Flair, and Roddy Piper against three members of the NWO. But here, Flair was obviously hoping it was going to be Hogan in the match because he mentions Hogan's name over and over and over. And we haven't seen them wrestle on pay-per-view since the NWO formed. Ric mm. Flair clearly wanted Hogan in that match. He does not get Hogan as a spoiler alert. I think uh, it's amazing how much, uh, like you want to look for someone to stand up for WCW when the NWO runs right. It's, um, you'd think it was a Horseman V, um, Horseman V, NWO straight out the bat hmm. but once fall brawl happens and they lose in war games it's almost just like right let's throw that out the idea it's just like it's it's and it's almost like the horseman went yeah well look we tried in war games and uh <laughs> now we're just doing our own thing <laughs> let's go wrestle some guys in the opening matches yeah it's Correct. very yeah. weird the four horsemen like to me as a kid who never watched the nwa growing up I, this is my first exposure to the horsemen 
I thought they were just a bunch of losers, to be honest. Yeah, like I never totally. really understood it. Even well, if you I knew him a little bit from the WWF, but I thought he was just some old guy, you know? Yeah. And if you see them on the same plateau as the Dungeon of Doom, well, what are you gonna do? You're not gonna yeah. go, well, these guys must be superstars. Yeah, it's only when I became a fan, like as a fan later on that you realize, you know, the big rich history of uh the horseman and to be quite honest i reckon it was it was the the rick flair dvd that the wwe put out in like oh four or maybe oh three that really sort of none no, of these guys are a big deal i've said it for years rick flair's legacy is intact because he went to the wwe yep in fans yep. minds rick flair is a big deal because he went to the wwe and they did him justice Triple yeah. H and Shawn Michaels being such big fans of Ric Flair and Vince McMahon respecting him, they sort of rewrote the legacy. They said, forget all this rubbish he did in the late 90s. Look at how good he was and look at how much we respect him now. Yeah, DVDs, put him with Triple H, put him as you know the, the head of evolution and whatever else. That did more for his legacy than 10 years of WCW. Correct. Yeah, absolutely spot on because like they barely even mention the history. Like he's always seen his and it possibly could also be. I have heard Eric Bischoff talk about this on 83 weeks that like if he could, you know, do his time over again, he probably would have been, and pardon the pun, a bit more fair to flair. <laughs> yeah. But I guess, you know, benefit of hindsight when you get older and stuff like that. But you are absolutely spot on there. If it wasn't for if Rick Flair didn't return in 01 to WWE, we'd be seeing him probably wrestling gyms he'd be like the rock and roll express yeah we'd remember him as like oh yeah that guy was a really good world champion and maybe you'd have people say oh no he was the best ever you just don't get it but it wouldn't be as widespread and i don't know if he'd become the pop culture icon because he wasn't at this time no you know now we've got rick flair mentioned in rap songs we've had sneakers and all these different things i don't know if that happens if he doesn't go to WWE and everyone, you know, retells the the legend of Ric Flair. And a prime example of that is the Rock and Roll Express because like what they did for tag team wrestling and no one barely remembers him. People remember the Road Warriors. People yeah. remember Demolition more than the Rock and Roll Express. Anyway, speaking of uh, tag teams though, we're into <laughs> one. Um, how good is that for a segue? Um, Public Enemy versus Jeff Jarrett and Mongo. Now, this is a pedestrian tag match. Public Enemy, I, I don't get it. I was never an ECW guy. I don't get their shtick. To me, they're garbage wrestlers, and I don't know why they keep getting airtime because, one, when it's a basic tag match when they're in the ring, it just looks plodding. And when when Mongo isn't the worst man in that ring, you got a problem. Jeff Jarrett is trying his absolute best to do this. And then one of my other bugbears about public enemy matches is when the action spills into the out outside and Johnny Grunge and Rocco Rock go their separate ways, it goes back to that stupid split screen. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought that was only during hardcore matches. I didn't realize it was like an exclusive to public enemy matches. Yeah. Full stop. <laughs> you don't do this in a normal match. Um, it was weird. Like, yeah. Their matches with weapons are average anyway. With no weapons, this was even worse. Like, there weren't many highlights to this match, and this is another one that I would say skip it. 
Mm. You know, there's a funny moment when Mongo's during his entrance, you know, the great thing about WCW is you were allowed to trash talk to the camera. And he says, <laughs> Lardy Darty, welcome to Mongo's party. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and the other note from this that I guess we we never spoke about it, but on I think um Rocco Rock or whichever one of them, one of them on the back of his football jersey, the public enemy top. He has the number yep. 69. Now, I think most wrestling fans would remember the DX football jersey with the number yep. 69 on it. Yep, but and degenerate go. on the back. Yeah, A Degenerate. So Public Enemy did that first. So we'll give him credit for that. I think, but the only thing is, on the other jersey for Rocco Rocks, because I will assume it, it's Johnny Grunge that has got the 69. In his yeah, back. I, think, I think it is. Sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But the other one just says double zero. I thought that too, because obviously one of them was like, what if I put 69 on the back? And they were like, that's funny. What if I put, um, uh, what's another yeah. funny number? Yeah, what he what do you do? Another funny what? number. Yeah, double zero, I guess. Uh, yeah, this is a very poor match. Very, very poor. But I, a couple of two things that I've got to point out. Uh, Johnny Grunge sets up Jeff Jarrett on the table and then goes through the table himself after Jarrett gets off, <laughs> which had Dusty Rhodes go, Johnny Grunge just put himself through his own plunder. <laughs> Still got to call it plunder. <laughs> and, and last but not least, Public Enemy got the win because, so Jarrett's got um, Flyboy Rocket. No, he's a Johnny Grunge. No, he's got Johnny Grunge in a figure four. And then all of a sudden he gets clocked on the back of the head. He's out cold. And then... So he, the pin gets counted and it looks like Mongo just takes two steps. He's not even running to do a kick out. He's just kind of like one, two, lazy kick. And oh no, we've lost. Oh, it's I the laziest. Save, yeah. <laughs> it's the, yeah, it's the laziest break, uh, breakup of a pin attempt you'll ever see. Maybe he knew the match sucked and he's like, no, I'm not going to save him. Let's just wrap it up. Yeah. It's just like, you know what? If I, if we're going to have to keep wrestling, <laughs> if, I'll just, oh no, Jeff. Oh, I tried. Sorry, man. <laughs> Back to the bar. Uh, then we got in our next match, uh, well, our next segment, Mean Gene is back. He's shilling for the hotline again. And this is one of the most infamous moments in WCW history. The world famous Booker T. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you promo. But the bit that I didn't actually know is, probably rightly so, WWE have edited it to remove the uh, the N-word. I had no idea. So during the intro of the show, when they mentioned the matches, they mentioned the four-corner tag match. And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh my God, it's that pay-per-view. This and is that I pay-per-view. Went, I went through the rundown of the, the show on the network and it said Booker T and Stevie Ray promo. And I was like, oh, I thought they just cut it off the network. And then I yeah. wanted to see how they tackle it. How yeah, they went they around do? it. Was it going to be a beep? Yeah. Or was, it, was it going to be just bleeped out? But no, they re-replaced it with the word sucker. And it oh. fit pretty well. It fit pretty well. Very good editing job. To be honest, if you didn't know the promo, you didn't know what happened, you would just think he said sucker. So they because, did a good job Because then Stevie there. Ray says sucker about 12 yeah. times afterwards. It's almost like he's going, no, like, no, sucker. What did Stevie Ray say? Maybe they edited him too. Um, but the but the best part about that promo is the minute the minute that uh, and we've all seen the promo, so we won't need to say what Booker said. But the minute that Booker says the N word, you see his face just oh, and Sherry does her absolute best to go. It's all good. 
So yep. we're good. <laughs> we're Stevie Ray. Props to Stevie Ray. We don't often say we often don't praise him enough. He just soldiered on like, nope, that didn't happen. All right, Hulk Hogan, we want the gold, sucker. He just rolled on like nothing happened. It, the best thing about it, though, about the moment, is how fired up Booker T is. He gets lost in the moment, which is kind of awesome because he's just rolling with it. But then it's also the self-awareness and the instant regret. Just hand yep. over his face like, oh, no. Yeah, oh, no. What have I done? What have I done? Uh, but, yeah, really, really good. Um, <laughs> we, get to our, we get to our next match. And this one uh, is Chris Benoit versus Dean Malenko. And, look, they're, they're fantastic wrestlers. We don't need to... Um, we don't need to go on and on about how great they are because we know, but this match is just so, so boring. And I reckon, I reckon this is a prime example about just how important storytelling is in a match because the crowd is absolutely dead, absolutely dead. And these are two guys that they absolutely loved on Nitro. Like you put Dean Malenko, he gets cheers. Chris Benoit got some huge cheers, but because it was a technical masterpiece, with rest holds and things like that and little chain sequences it was just boring it was just so boring and to the point where tony shivani actually reads the room and says you know um he pleads with the audience that you're watching two of the best wrestlers in the world right now and probably the brain backs him up by going look no one's leaving or getting the popcorn they're all intently watching this match Mm, which isn't a good sign when they say like oh the crowd you know may not be loud it's because they're all watching so closely it's like mm, are they i'm sure if they had a phone right now they'd be scrolling through it yes um <laughs> this is one of the few occasions where a program is probably being read <laughs> yeah yeah where the program guy's like now it's my time to shine he's like who yeah. wants one um i think we've made note that malenko was really over at the time Mm-hmm. With Benoit, we've seen the crowd react to him in some matches. Like there was that weird brawl with Sullivan and the women involved too, where they were into it. For the most part, though, the crowd isn't really that into Benoit as no. much as as much. Like let's take the you know that group, the Radicals. We don't have Saturn yet, but Eddie is really over at the time. He gets huge Eddie chants all the time. Malenko, they love it when he's in there, especially during his cruiserweight title run. Benoit never really had it, even though he's associated with the horsemen here. It, you can say what you want about like Benoit. We'll just talk his career as a wrestler. He yep, really yep. does peak later. And, and even so then, so. he doesn't become a good talker or anything else. But the crowd sort of gets into it more years later. Maybe in his WWE run is when it really starts to take off or the end of WCW. But there isn't much to him here, you know? Like, I get end it. Of, he slaps hard and he does good wrestling moves. End of WCW is definitely where he sort of becomes a, a fan favorite. And that, I reckon, is mainly... Uh, you got to credit Shane Douglas and the Revolution for that. Remember when, how they had that little... Um, so it was Shane Douglas, Asia, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, and... Saturn, yeah, and Perry Saturn as as the revolution because he didn't have to do any of the talking. He'd have mm. the franchise do all the talking for him, which is what basically sold him. Like this guy's the best technical wrestler, and by that point in time, you know he could get by like some let someone else do the talking for him, and he will do the wrestling. Because when he got to the WWE as well, 
he was the one out of the radicals that was pinpointed to be okay. You're the you're the where you're the springboard star. Remember, he got t- he got um title opportunities against the rock mm. he's the one that was thrust into the main event scene while eddie was getting the european title dean got the cruiserweight title perry satin was given a mop <laughs> <laughs> but even then with benoit they knew it too so they got shane mcmahon shane to speak McMahon. for him yeah yeah exactly and it was only because eddie was so charismatic that that kind of overtook and people sort of could see and again it brings it back to character work eddie was not just a great wrestler he could have a great character and stories as well chris benoit a fantastic wrestler pretty bland and that just couldn't work needed someone else to do his job for him. in fact when he did get the title in 2004 he even then that was more of a he was still sort of coasting off others just that little bit because mm-hmm. You remember the math, and it was always because uh, they'll never give it to Benoit. What they gave it to Benoit, thanks WWE. Like that, everyone was so shocked that he got it. So it's a weird little juxtaposition, his little career. Mm. Oh, we, we, we forgot to actually, this match does get a little bit interesting because the crowd's interest peaks a bit when Jacqueline comes in. Yep. Jacqueline um, comes out to attack woman, then hmm. Jimmy Hart comes out to get Jackie. Then Jimmy steals the belt. Then Eddie comes out for Jimmy Hart. And then Arn <laughs> Anderson comes out. And I was like, this went to zero to 100 real quick. Yeah. And then Kevin <laughs> Sullivan the came out. The Tusk comes out. At this point, the crowd does get into it. We, we can say <laughs> that because it's like, what on earth? It's like someone backstage panicked and was like, send everybody everyone <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like dude we can eat crickets out there anyone that's got a semblance of heat get them out there right now um, a very, very a very odd ending though that's what he, I've, I've just got written down here very very odd ending here's what, I, here's what i'm thinking though it ends with a dq um kevin sullivan and jimmy hart sort of steal the belt for eddie even though eddie doesn't really want to to me, that was the new click that Mean Gene was talking about. Ah, there you go. It never went anywhere, but maybe they thought, you know, hey, Jimmy Hart, Kevin Sullivan, and Eddie Guerrero. That's that's your next big faction. Interesting. Just imagine that. What would they have been called? I don't know, but what plain names on paper, just Jimmy, Kevin, Eddie, like, you know. Yeah, I know. No. And Jacqueline. <laughs> yeah, oh. Jackie, Jimmy, Kevin, Eddie for breakfast. Like, did, 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 did you, side note, did you find it hilarious? Uh, Eddie's pantomiming, like, oh, this is my US title. And they're like, <laughs> Eddie's got one arm. He, he's forced. To, and they're yeah, just yeah. like, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of like when you're trying to coerce a friend into going into a club they don't want to go to. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, come on, come, come. It's like, oh, oh, look at me. Really we'll just, to. It's like, no, 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 man, it'll be fine. We'll be there for like 15 minutes tops. It's like, no, I still don't think I should. Oh, very, very odd ending. Very odd match. But uh, look, uh, Benoit and Malenka have so much better ones um, throughout the year. And look, it's not it's not exclusive to um, WWE. Remember, they had a stinker at one night stand as well. Uh, Benoit and Guerrero. Oh, Guerrero! Yes, sorry. Yeah. Yes, sometimes, sometimes you just need a little bit more sizzle for the steak. Mm. Um, we'll get to our next match: uh, Nash versus Rick Steiner. So, in the preceding, since Scott Steiner was maced, <laughs> now we've got Rick Steiner and Kevin Nash one on one for the tag team championships. If that makes any sense, but this will just show you 
I mentioned in the last match that you need to have a bit of story. The crowd is hot for this one. And I don't know about you, but Kevin Nash looks to be moving in fast forward. He is good to go here. Man, Kevin Nash, like seriously, we've mentioned it so many times. The outsiders were pretty reliable on every pay-per-view that we've seen so far. You know, Nash and Hall were still basically in their physical peak at the time. And Mm. yeah, we're seeing Nash in his first singles match on pay-per-view in WCW, and it's pretty good. There's nothing wrong with the match at all. Like, this was fun. Nash was out with six, Ted DiBiase, and Nick Patrick, the dodgy NWO ref. And yeah, it's a lot of silliness, but the action is pretty entertaining as well. Kevin Nash, when he's willing to give back a bit, and anyone that's watched his interactions with the X Division back in TNA in like the 05 era knows that when Nash is in the mood to, you know, actually help a brother out, he will do some great stuff. My favorite part is, so Kevin Nash getting a low blow from Rick Steiner, Nash sells it like a tree going down. (laughs) (laughs) Like he just knows he, and you can sort of tell, I don't know if you can too, or maybe this is revisionist history coming in, but you can tell the guys from WWE that have come from the WWF that come to WCW just on that different extra plane. They know how to like make themselves a little bit bigger. Um, They gesture a lot more to the audience and camera. Like they're a lot more visual. Like there's a bit where, so we'll, we'll get to this bit, but six undoes the turnbuckle. And it's a very elaborate, like he's up on the apron. He's really, really like, everyone, look at me. I'm undoing the turnbuckle kind of thing. Yeah, it's more of a show. And yeah, like the, the two matches back to back are the prime example. Benoit and Malenko, oh, sure, give him five stars or whatever. But to the crowd, no, Kevin Nash and Rick Steiner, that's five stars, you know? Yeah. And because you're sitting there going, and then DiBiase goes up to help him remove the turnbuckle cover. Then Nash goes and does the snake eyes on the turnbuckle, which that's one of, that's like, this is before I used to do the little, you know how I used to frame it up a little bit like that? Yeah, yeah. And then do it. But, but the thing is like Nash and Steiner, Rick Steiner is like the baby face Ricky Morton in peril kind of thing here. And it's so good to watch. Yeah, no, no, it's very good. Um, I thought it was funny how long it took to take off the turnbuckle because it's mm. not the normal WWE pad where you can just untie the shoelaces like that in the back, yeah. Pry it off with a big, you know, tool or whatever. Um, but I didn't realize this was the point where, you know, some guys in the NWO thought they were going too far. Like, mm. I like how, you know, beating people up backstage, that wasn't going too far. Running the Steiners off the road in a car, that wasn't too far. But doing the snake eyes three times to the buckle without the pad, Nick Patrick was and DiBiase were like, hey, man, we might no, be uh, crossing the line now. It's a no from me here too. The other good part about that too is, and this is what I mean, this is what I talk about, the pantomime aspect of it. DiBiase pleading like, all right, I think that's probably enough. And Nash having the smarts, to because I haven't seen a WCW born and bred wrestler do this, going... Like uh, where he does the little, like the one more, like he gestures to the crowd, just one more yeah. kind of thing. And Diviasi's like, no, no, no. And then, because it all plays, because obviously you can't hear any dialogue, but he projects it so well. You're right though. This is an interesting bit because Diviasi then walks out on the NWO and uh, you get a jackknife, a vicious looking jackknife powerbomb for the win. But uh, this is where 
the sprinklings of the 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 seeds of the the NWO descent is coming in. Yeah, and and with DiBiase, we'll see where he ends up. You know, next month they continue this storyline, which is cool. And Nick Patrick being reluctant to count as well. We've mentioned how great of a performer Nick Patrick is. So we're, we're getting to see him, you know, start to turn face, which I'm excited to see. I can't remember much of it. But yeah, this was uh, planting the seeds for that as well. Yeah, very much so. We get to our next little segment. It's Mean Gene. Once again, it's an interview with Luger and the Giant. And whoever the hell told the Giant to do this, that softly spoken promo style, needs to be sat down and have their hearing checked <laughs> it's the worst it's the absolute worst it's a very very ordinary promo not just from the giant but him and lex luger i don't know if this is by design but part of me thinks that they thought that they were doing a really good job yeah i, I feel like we we mentioned how well spoken uh the giant is all of his promos have been like pretty good in terms of he delivers them and they're good but we know we noticed he was screaming a lot in the earlier promos, but yeah, the past couple of months, it's like someone said, Hey, maybe don't scream all the time, but he took that to the extreme. And now he's yeah. whispering all the time. He's trying to do a Jake Roberts, like speak softly and make yes. him listen, but it's just, yeah, it's not, I think it's better when he was screaming. I don't know about whispering giant. Yeah. And what's ironic is if you see him in like, you know, the water boy as captain Insano, perfect. Just do that. <laughs> yeah, just do the old school wrestling promos. I think that's why, I think his promos were better a few months ago when he was just screaming. Uh, Lex Luger, normally there's something fun to pick out from his promos. This one, you're right. Around. Middle of the road. He was well-spoken and delivered it well. And the only thing I was thinking is that it's really weird that WWE messed it up with Luger. Mm. He looks great. He was super over at the time. Really well-spoken. He was the total package, for lack of a better term. And they messed it up. Like, we see how the crowd reacts in the match coming up. But, yeah, it just still blows my mind, especially for, watching it back. For whatever reason, and we're going down a rabbit hole here, but did you ever hear the rumor that he was meant to win the title at WrestleMania 10? Yeah, of course. And there's different versions of it. So the best version is he was at a bar the, at the night bar? before and yep. told the guy like, hey, I'm going to win at WrestleMania. And then that guy <laughs> leaked it to the dirty. <laughs> so anyway, so, Maeve Delta, I'm going to win the title tomorrow. Like, who was he talking to at this bar? Great. Brian Alvarez. <laughs> 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 so so like part and so maybe part of me wonders like is this has lex self-sabotaged or has someone dropped the ball yeah. could go either way could go either way i don't know but then again that lex luger isn't this lex luger yes you know yes. nate in the usa lex luger like that's not him you can tell it's not yep. he isn't this smiling guy like yeah, he can get yeah. over as a face but more as just a serious athletic guy, like not this I love babies type thing. Hmm. Yeah, let, let me kiss all your family. And or and as remarkable as it sounds, he wasn't even the narcissist. Like the narcissist was a Chris Masters sort of character, which yeah. didn't work with Chris Masters either. <laughs> I, think, I think they missed it with Luger because they overthought it. They're like, yeah, they hmm. did the narcissist. They did the made in the USA. No, he's just this guy who is a wrestler who's good at kind of good at everything you know he's really like 
he's like a good athlete you knew in high school or whatever. Mm. Like he's not really that funny. He's not really that cool. He's really good at what he does, but he doesn't seem to really care either. You know, that's it. He's just Lex Luger. Do you reckon that when they got him in as the narcissist, they're just like, oh, well, you know, people seem to hate him too much. All right. But he's a really good dude. Well, let's course correct. Make him the most likable human on the planet. He's America's hero. <laughs> no, and it's like, yeah, you're right. They overcompensated. It's not that either. He's just this kind of aloof guy. Maybe you want to hang out with him, but probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you bump into him at Vic Roads or something while you're waiting for something, you'd happily talk to him in the line, but you're not going out for a coffee with him later on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, you could even tell, like, he never really wanted to give high fives to the crowd unless he was super amped up for whatever reason. Like, yeah, mm. he's just a weird guy. But anyway. Lex Luger is going to feature heavily in this next match. It's a four corners match, which is essentially a fatal four way with tag rules. It's Booker T and Stevie Ray. So Harlem Heat separate, but as together as Harlem Heat versus Lex Luger and the Giant, also a team, but separate. And we mentioned this WCW Lex Luger is so over. He is the most over dude in this match. So much so that I noticed throughout the match, Whoever developed the WCW video games modeled them on Lex Luger because he taunts the crowd to get them like he he does everything. He's a real life video. He taunts to get his special sort of meter <laughs> up. Like he, he he does everything that you would do if you were playing a video game. Yeah, and it's perfect. It's it's great. Like the only thing about this match that threw me off, there was so much talk of like, oh, well, if two partners get tagged in, what are they gonna do? And I think WWE, when they first did a match like this, like the corners thing, um, mm. I'm pretty sure they had the New Age Outlaws pin each other. One of them yes. pinned each other. And yeah, then right. they created the rule, you're not allowed to pin right. your own partner. Yeah. And which yep. was genius, whoever thought of that. But here, there was a lot of like, oh my God, Harlem Heat have tagged each other in. What are they going to do? And why didn't one of them just lie down for the other? But yeah, yeah which to an extent is what happened in the ending because the giant is clearing house. Hmm. The giant by all intents and purposes should have won this. And to be fair, this is a good bit of storytelling on WCW's part because they talk about how like there is no dissent with Lex Luger and the giant. They will do what is best for WCW. Giant knows this because he's a former member of the NWO that Hogan is the head of the snake. We've got to do that. Who is WCW's best opportunity to get rid of Hogan, that is Lex Luger. So he's gone for all the choke slams and stuff like that. But then, and this is another part too. This is, we really are pumping up the tires of Lex Luger here. <laughs> but the bit where where Giants like goes to tag him in to like, no, no, you finished the match. It has to be you. And he's kind of like, but but you're the legal man. You have to win this. Like, no, Lex, yeah, you're yeah. the one for the job. <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. Mental. Like- but that tag is to the rack and the win. <laughs> these Lex Luger pops, like people probably think we're overestimating him. Someone no. needs to put them together in a supercut. Every pay-per-view Lex Luger's uh, finishing stretch of his matches. It is wild. So good. Absolutely so good. But yeah, and this is another good bit too. And I we will give credit where credit is due for WCW. Bobby the Brain Heenan saying, was that friendship or stupidity on the (laughs) Giants' part? Yeah. I don't know. People criticized Bobby Heenan when he said, oh, whose side is he on to Hulk Hogan when he joined the NWO? I actually think 
yeah, Heenan is the logical person at the desk, at least asking the question that you might be thinking. Heenan's always true to form too. He never liked Hulk Hogan before. Why would he like Hulk Hogan now? Yeah, it made perfect sense for him to question his um, sincerity. So, and yeah, that was a good line here, but what a great moment. I know we keep saying it like Lex Luger has the best part of these shows. He really does. Him <laughs> he really does. Booker T gets a massive pop when he does it. He gets a massive pop when Harlem Heat are in and then Booker tags Luger. They go crazy. And then, mm. yeah, the ending. It's just classic Lex Luger. Let's rewind it back to the start. Like, here's the other thing too. Now, we all know what it's like, the pop when the glass shatters uh, for Stone Cold Steve Austin. We all know what it's like the minute you hear the NWO theme, like, if you smell, like, everyone knows that and people are on their uh, um, the feet. Same deal with John Cena. Same deal with Cult of Personality. Mm. Lex Luger has got the most bland entrance music on the planet. It <laughs> sounds like it's cool. It's just, it, but but like it sounds like something that you should be hearing. Uh, that's promoting an outside broadcast at uh, at a tire factory somewhere <laughs> on a Saturday. That's the backing music to it. But the minute that music kicks in, everyone is up like it's Stone Cold Steve Austin in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. And hey, you know what? Maybe we don't give Luger credit there. Everyone says, oh, Austin was the first guy in plain black tights and plain black boots. Hey, Lex Luger was doing it for a year. Luger did before, that. For Austin and Goldberg, you know? <laughs> Luger did do that beforehand. But um, yeah, we'll get to our next bit. Uh, it's a very odd ad for Slamboree 1997. Do you find that it was just strange? Yeah, it was almost like to describe it, they had all the announcers sitting down in different settings, almost like a shoot interview. And they mm. were like answering what it would take to, to destroy the NWO. And then it mm. was like Slamboree next month on pay-per-view. It was, yeah, it was odd. And the strange thing too is, so it looked like Dusty was the only one that, you know, was still in character. Everyone else sort of treated it like a shoot promo. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, I don't know. The vibe of it was off. Like, I'd love to know, was that always meant to be the ad or was that footage for another project? Like, it didn't even feel yeah. like a commercial for a pay-per-view. It looked like someone had, two, like, two different people did the edit job. It was like, all right, I'll get the legends together. Uh, you just splice it. You find out the script and I'll just get them to sit down. They came together. It was like, I don't think this works. Uh, <laughs> look, it needs to be 30 seconds. Just splice it together. <laughs> yeah, and then put, put the details for the show at the end. So then we get into the main event here. Now it's Macho Man and Liz doing the, the come to the ring walk, you know, from backstage. I talk about Ric Flair rambling beforehand. Macho Man does some prime Macho Man rambling here, but... It's Macho Man rambling, so it's awesome. Like, you know, like, I'm going to get 20 to 35 girls after we win. <laughs> You're fine with that, Liz? Slim Jims for all. Yeah. It works with him. That is what we want from Randy Savage. I thought it was interesting, too. We haven't seen this in WCW. Savage did his um, entrance. Then they went backstage for a DDP promo. Promo, yeah. Not cutaway. something WCW would do. WWF would do it all the time, and we have seen it so far like just before the last guy comes out he does a backstage promo weird while he's music playing yeah yeah weird to see in wcw what i find also very cool about this is uh ddp and kimberly when they make their entrance second time i'm going to mention video games but if anyone's played wcw uh nwo revenge on um nintendo 64 back in the day Kimberly and DDP do the exact same thing. This is this might as well have been motion capped for the video game. It's so perfectly done. 
Yeah. And is this the first time, like, I know, I think Kimberly was with DDP years ago as like the booty babe or whatever when he was feeling. And the with... Diamond Doll. Yeah. yeah, the Diamond Doll. But is this the first time we're seeing him as proper DDP with proper Kimberly? I think this is Correct. the first one. Yeah, yeah, this is the first time around too. And the thing that DDP highlights in it's also the first time DDP's in the main event. So we've yeah. we've seen the the full metamorphosis of DDP that we know and love here. But and they bring in Kimberly so well because it's Macho Man that went personal. It's like there is a reason why Kimberly's there. It's not just uh it's this is how I don't know if anyone remembers Undertaker bringing his wife into the storylines funnily enough, with DDP uh, in, in 2001. That was how you do the story wrong. This was done so perfectly. Yeah, I think it was good. Savage was the one who brought it up. It made sense to mention that they're married. And now, you know, yeah, Kimberly's with DDP for a while and it works. You know, I think that sometimes it's hard when you put a baby face with um, a female valet. Sometimes it can like put off the crowd for whatever reason. DDP and Kimberly didn't make a difference. If anything, I think it made guys in the crowd like DDP more because there's this real trashy looking guy who's old and shouldn't have become a successful wrestler <laughs> and he smokes cigars and he's kind of weird. And then you're like, damn, that's his wife. I think it it didn't make people jealous of DDP or put that weird psychological thing. I think it made guys like DDP even more because you could aspire to be DDP. You- you could aspire to be a, a DDP, a, a Jersey reject that somehow managed to get a playmate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that too. That probably helped. Like, man, this guy's killing it late in life. There's still hope for me. There's still hope for us all. <laughs> um, we then get to Michael Buffer doing the Let's Get Ready to Rumble shtick. And did you find it amusing that the Let's Get Ready to Rumble got pyro? Oh, did it? I didn't notice that, but that's great. <laughs> so Buffer they do that. After that. Well, this is the best part. It goes, let's get ready to rumble. And then they pan to the stage where like the spinning wheels and the (laughs) (laughs) just like, oh my God, brilliant stuff from uh, WCW. But look, this is one of the best main events I have ever seen. And I have written this down. um, So it spills to the crowd. It's just a fight from the get go. But Macho, so much better than Hogan. It's such an injustice that Hogan was the megastar for the 80s because Randy Savage has got all the tools and a lot more. Yeah, and I know this is very different to all the main events we've seen. You know, they've been fun and cartoony and these weird Hogan matches. This felt like a fight. It felt violent. It was unlike any main event we've seen so far. And even moving forward, this one still stands out because they don't really do matches like this often. I think they try a few years later in the Russo era, but it's never this serious and this intense. Like they go out into the crowd and brawl seriously and use a real bin that had real bin juice in it. I thought that Mm. was a nice touch and kind of gross. You just saw it leak out. Um, It was good. It was fun. It wasn't perfect. Like not everything looked clean, but I think it's better for it. Almost like Austin and Brett where it felt just like a rough brawl. This was WCW's equivalent. There's And you, you spot on when you say it's WCW's equivalent because there's a lot of parallels there because you got Macho Man is like the old guard as Bret Hart was. Mm. 
DDP is the guy that's organically risen because we saw DDP at Bash of the Beach 1996. He's a mid-card jobber. He's a nothing. Now he actually is. He's in the main event. It's his mm. first main event, for crying out loud. And another cool little bit of storytelling too is Macho Man continually underestimating how good DDP is with the level of arrogance. And then when he figures out like, okay, well, this kid can actually bring it to it. Rather than adapting and outsmarting him, Macho gets angrier and angrier and it brings a more violent edge to the match. Yeah, because he can't put him away. He thought it was going to be an easy day at the office and DDP just keeps coming at him. And I think this helps build sort of, yeah, that idea that DDP will keep fighting and you can't beat him because of his fighting spirit. The crowd is super into it. There's some points where they're chanting for Sting maybe a little bit too much. A bit too much, That's yeah. That's okay. That happened in basically every WCW match without Sting in it. And uh, I think that everyone's conditioned as well to sort of go main event time. This is when Sting normally appears from the rafters. Yeah, we haven't seen him. If he's going to show up, it's here. The other thing that's worth mentioning is that now that Randy Savage is in the NWO, because of the allegiances, he's now reunited with Elizabeth, but now they're both mm-hmm. heels, but they're not married and they're not saying they are. They're not saying they're a couple. They're just associates. She's his manager. And I, it's worth bringing up, especially now that a and biography of Randy Savage has you know, aired. People online have spoken about it. They sort of paint Randy Savage in a negative light in it. I, mm-hmm. I watched it because I wanted to see how they... How they um, do it, yeah. Told the it, story. He, he's a complicated dude. He's a very, very... Uh, the story's not just cut and dry with Randy yeah. Savage. But here's the thing. It's not cut and dry. And in every version, pretty much every version of their story between Macho and Liz that you hear from Randy Savage and even people who knew Elizabeth and other versions of it, we've heard often that when they got to WCW, things were fine between them. Randy Mm. Savage brought her into WCW and they worked together and supposedly there was nothing. They were just whatever, colleagues at that point and kind of friendly. And it's weird that the proof is there. There's multiple years of them just working and interviews with you know either of them and other people who were like, oh yeah, they were fine. They just worked together. There was no issue. But now that it's been so long, sadly, they've both passed away. Now the story's being rewritten again that it like, is. oh, Randy was actually always in love with her and super jealous and he locked her in a cupboard and she was real scared of him. But this is only a few years supposedly when those things happened. And yeah, I don't know. It- it, the, the 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 narrative has changed so much and look it sounds like we are like we get it randy savage by no means are we saying he was perfect he was no. definitely a flawed man but at the same time that was a different era uh he, he we're not excusing his behavior by any means because some of the stuff that he did in the late 80s wwe especially with elizabeth was very uh questionable so to speak but also at the same time the, the circumstances are incredibly extraordinary i mean let's go back to SummerSlam 1992, where they get married. It's SummerSlam 92, isn't it? Yeah, or 94? SummerSlam 92. 92, yeah. Now, at this point in time, Savage and uh, and Macho, sorry, Savage and Elizabeth, they're not a couple. They're a couple of years divorced. Yeah, yeah. So um, imagine going to your workplace with someone that is your ex-wife and having to go through an entire storyline where you've proposed to them on both on both ways, like both Liz has to then accept and do the the famous Elizabeth, you know. Like. <laughs> but to like, me, that, that's what's weird because they had already done that together, and then years later, just when they're actually in- on 
when they're actually on speaking terms now and yeah. actually quite cordial with each other. <laughs> from all accounts, so, it was fine. But then for yeah. some reason, the story changed again and Hogan was like, oh man, Savage was real weird to Liz. Like, mm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, you sort of hit it, a, I think, a little bit earlier. Um, you hit the nail right in the head there. Unfortunately, with both Savage and um, Elizabeth sadly no longer with us, there's no one to tell their side of the story or debunk these claims. Yeah. So for all you know, like Cowboy Bob Orton can come in one day and when like hypothetically using him as an old name there, he doesn't actually believe this. Uh, you can tell like, <laughs> oh, Randy used to have orgies and then get Elizabeth to film them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like- <laughs> no one can... But the, the funny <laughs> thing is there are some like old, you know, like old internet videos when that was first becoming a thing it would have gained more traction now, but there are videos of Randy Savage talking about it. And he's like, yeah, me and Elizabeth worked fine in WCW. We uh, got along great and whatever. We both moved on in our lives and we're both adults. But I, no think that's, the- I only care about Hogan saying, oh man, he was weird and she lived in my house. And anyway. I, I, I think that also that, this, I think Bruce Pritchard, someone else that, you know, like Liz loved working with Randy after like long gone, uh, like long after they, their marriage dissolved because he was such a professional and because she trusted him so implicably. Yeah. And because she, like, so it's so weird. Like that people steered into the other oversteer, yeah. like, no, no, no. She, she was the favorite person for him to work with. You yeah, know? it was like, probably more in the middle. It was probably just like, okay. Like, yeah, some shit happened in the past, but. They were both like, whatever, we're professionals, let's make money. Yeah, it's it was fine. probably literally, it was probably literally just like, oh, I'm working with Liz today. Cool. I better go say, Liz, you cool with that? Awesome. See you in the main event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And I'll, just one other thing about that docker. I know we've gone on a tangent, but mm. I watched it. And I think one thing they missed is that how much like make a wish stuff he did. They don't mention that at yeah. all. They don't mention any of the charity stuff he did. Like, he would do all like once a year, he would do these Christmas things with kids, even up, up until his death. He mm. always did that. They don't mention any of that. They don't mention him staying a pop culture guy. Like, yeah, he did Spider-Man. They mentioned that a little bit, but he did like the Disney movie Bolt where he did a voice. Like he kept working and doing cool stuff. And they were like, nah, he left and- wrestling. He was a weirdo and then he died. Like, yeah, yeah. That's such an odd sort of little narrative there. And the fact that he wasn't put in the Hall of Fame for such a long time also fed those little rumors and I things know. like that. But it's it's like we sort of said, it's not a simple story with uh, with Randy Savage. And sadly, we probably will never know the full thing. But no. um, but it's but uh, here's another thing too that we can absolutely and DDP goes on record as saying this. DDP said like attributes all of his main event success to randy savage yeah absolutely and and the ending of this match is part of it ddp has told the story how randy savage said that's how i want the match to end with that reversal from the body slam ddp goes over spins him around and hits it it's an awesome reversal and you know savage was right like beat me clean with the diamond cutter there are so many cool little scenarios to set up for that because Macho Man, we mentioned how angry he gets that he can't put away uh, DDP because he just keeps under, he's underestimated him so much and DDP keeps bringing the fight. So then Macho Man takes out his rage on the ref, yeah, on the ref that's in there, which is a great bit of story because the commentators sell it too. They did their job perfectly going and saying how like, you know, oh, he's, he's so annoyed that he can't beat up DDP that he's taking it out on a helpless ref. 
which was a cool story because then that brings out Nick Patrick and the fact that Nick Patrick had to count because Nick Patrick's the one that counts the one through three and he does it a perfect flawless one, two, three, two. NWO loses their mind, but Nick Patrick's like, what did you want me to do? He's out cold. (laughs) Which is great because even though he was reluctant in the Steiner and Nash match, with this one, he isn't. He doesn't do a reluctant slow account. This one, he just does it perfect because he's like, "Hey, I had no I other choice." And to emphasize that too, what is so good is when Nash gets into the ring, he's got Nick Patrick by the scruff of his neck, like he's got him by the collar, and he's trying to revive Randy Savage because <laughs> Randy's out by the diamond cutter. Like it's so well done. Yeah. It, it, I know, you know, I think in modern times, people would complain about this ending because I would say, oh, DDP won, but, you know, NWO had to get their heat back and they beat him down right away. That doesn't matter. Randy Savage was down and sold it for a long time, like he said. DDP Mm. beat him. Sure, he gets beat down, but, you know, the story continues. This is only their first match. It's a pretty fantastic ending. It is so awesome too. And this is the other part too where... Then the entire NWO comes out and Randy Savage has lost it so much that he's got Kimberly. Like he's got Kimberly. And Eric Bischoff is like, no, 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 no. Obviously you couldn't do that today. But that just shows the level in which Savage was enraged so much. And the storyline descent in the NWO with no Hogan there, Hogan's got to come back and rebuild the NWO because they're running riot. Yeah, which which is kind of good. Hogan missed the show and the NWO is falling apart by the looks of it. Um, the show ends. The crowd keeps chanting for Sting. We don't get Sting. We don't get Sting. We, we yeah. go back to the commentary desk so they can <laughs> wrap things up, which is really odd. Do you reckon? Because this, this pay-per-view had a runtime of two hours and 40 minutes. Do you reckon that there was meant to be maybe... It was meant to be a full three-hour minutes and they went back to the tables like, do you reckon you could pad for another... like? Ooh, maybe 40 minutes or so. And they're just like, look, we'll do our absolute best, but uh, we're not going to make any promises. Yeah. So that's what, because you're right. At the end of the day, de- at the end, when they go back to the desk, it does seem very awkward. Like, like they, they recap the show, then they're like, well, we better recap it a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to reiterate, it is yeah. and Randy Savage. Um, it was like that one pay-per-view we watched where they were clearly under time. And then they went to the commentary desk and then the NWO walked to the commentary desk. That's right. Like, I think that happened again. I don't think they were the best at timing uh, their pay-per-views. Well, you can say that too, because the bit, uh, I can't remember which pay-per-view it was, but remember when Rand- when Randy, oh, not Randy, when Roddy Piper makes his debut and he has, they have to cut the end of the pay-per-view because it's just like, all right, guys, we're going to go. We'll see you tomorrow night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it was either too long or too short. They couldn't get it just right. Not, not a nice 258 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that was a bit of a shame. But look, this paper certainly had a mixed bag of stuff. But by all intents and purposes, the good outweighed the bad, I, th- I, thought, I, I thought at least. Yeah, overall, it's a fun show and there's some you know great moments. I think it really picks up at the end. Uh, the last mm-hmm. couple of, last three matches, Steiner and Nash, uh, the Luger Giant, Harlem the Heat. The Four Corners match, yeah. yeah. and then the main event. Man, watch it all. Like, that's a good last few matches with good characters, fun matches, and yeah, and, and exciting stuff. Yeah, I, I'd, re- I'd also uh, suggest, you know, Fire it up. Watch the Ultimate Dragon Rey Mysterio match. 
watch the promos, but then hit fast forward on basically everything else until you get to Kevin Nash. Who's your (laughs) MVP of the show? My MVP of this show, this is a hard one. I'm going to, no, no, you know what? Easy one, actually. Kevin Nash. (laughs) Yeah, for his backstage stuff. He's hilarious backstage in the little like, oh, this was an handbook. I want Nick Patrick as my referee. Spitting on the Steiner brothers. Then the actual match where he's performing in fast forward. All of that pantomime work of like, you know, I'll I'll finish this match when I finish the damn match kind of stuff. Mm. At the very end where he's like, you know, when Nick Patrick gets sent out, like he's sort of the de facto leader of the NWO. Like he's doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yep. And oh, hell of a powerbomb to Nick Patrick at the end too. He powerbombs the crap out of Nick Patrick. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. Nash is all over the show and he does a great job. I'll say Nash too, because I don't want to give Lex Luger another one. Yeah, yeah. Look, and well, look, Lex is good for like you know if you really wanted to make that place uh, go insane. Yeah, should have sent Lex Luger out at the end to save DDP. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm surprised they never do it. Um, but chances but- are, what probably would have happened with Luger would come out, then he'd get pummeled down by the NWO. The story didn't need Lex. It was about DDP yeah. and the NWO. Yeah. So you know what? I'm happy WCW put on another good show. Um, I'd say so far in 97, WCW is winning. I'm trying to they figure are. out the point where WWE turns it around. Definitely the second half of 97, WWE is on fire. But yeah, I want to see when it really kicks off. It, this is a really, really good show. But yeah, um, w, WWE are still sort of... They, they haven't... Uh, what's the word? I'd have to say that this is their... Uh, they're trying to figure out, they're still trying to figure out what they're doing. They can yeah. see glimpses of like, mm, we're doing some good stuff here, but they haven't quite nailed the formula and they don't nail the formula too until well after Survivor Series, I reckon. Oh, no, no. I'd say give it a couple of months. I'd say Shawn Michaels returning and then mm-hmm. figuring out that, hey, maybe don't make Shawn Michaels a face, just lean into how crazy he is. Because yep. once we've got Shawn back, once, you know, we've seen the Heart Foundation is now starting to, to get going. And then once Austin is there, I think business is about to pick up. But I, I'd, I'm not going to guarantee the next show is good. I'm going to say give it a couple of months. Yeah, the next show that we have is A Cold Day in a Hell. Uh, that one should be an interesting one. I don't know what the main event is. It's I think it's a- Austin and The Undertaker. Austin and Taker, there you go. Who I believe for a time had the record of most pay-per-view matches against each other. Yeah, so This is the go. first one. You know what's actually strange too? When you think about it, The Undertaker, had, you look at the amount of pay-per-views that he has main evented. It's ridiculous. Like the tenure in which that man has. But yeah. uh, And at this point in time, he's a veteran too. Like <laughs> yeah, he's, he's already he's, been there for like he's, you know, seven, eight years or whatever. Remember that in the Attitude Era, The Undertaker is considered one of the old guys. Yep. We've so got a man. lot of Undertaker to watch. Oh, we certainly do. But uh, hey, look, that that has been Spring Stampede 1997 here on Reliving the War. I got to agree with you too, Simon. It was a fun show. Even the bad bits are still a little bit fun to watch. Uh, I wouldn't watch it again, but um, <laughs> but I wasn't hardly wholeheartedly regretting uh, the the Prince I.K. and Lord Stephen Regal match because it's a nice little snapshot of where you can see Regal used to be as well. Mm, yeah, exactly. And you know, we learned the fact that Prince I.K. is older than Regal, mm. so yeah. we all learned so, something. 
So yeah, a cold day in hell in your house, a cold day in hell coming up the next edition of Reliving the War. Remember, if you want to keep in touch of all of our episodes and our entire back catalog, check out greywolfentertainment.net or you can check your podcast feed. Go to Greywolf ENT on the socials to check out when the newest episode drops. Not only that too, if you want to keep in touch with what myself and Simon are doing, follow us on Twitter at Simon Tackler for Simon at Doc Nims for me. But uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, if the first half of 97 has been an, any indication, we're in for a bit of a treat, uh, Simon. Don't know how those three hour in your house is going to go when we get to them later. Look, now that things are still iffy, I'm glad they're still two hours for now. So we, we won't have to watch, you know, Rockabilly and uh, The Real Double J for too much longer. Yeah, you're not wrong. But uh, yeah, on behalf of Simon Tackler, I've been Nimzazor. This has been another edition of Reliving the War. We'll see you next time. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.